Good morning. It is good for us to be together on the Lord's Day. We are thankful for your presence. It is always a great blessing to be able to worship our God together. If you're visiting, we are very glad to have you here with us. We hope you'll stay around afterwards. We can meet you and greet you and be back tonight at 6 o'clock as we continue our worship together. Today is the first day for our new youth minister, Josh Kennedy. And if you have not met Josh yet... Please go out of your way to meet him. Josh is, see, raise your hand, Josh. Josh is sitting over here, so please try to meet him. We are very glad to have him here. He moved in on Friday, and we appreciate those who came and helped him do that. I want to talk this morning about a subject over which there is tremendous confusion in the religious world, and that is the kingdom of the Lord. If you were to talk to the Jehovah's Witnesses about the kingdom of the Lord, they would tell you that it was established in the year 1914. If you were to talk to premillennialists, which would be most of the religious world, they would tell you that the kingdom hasn't been established yet. They would say that it's coming very soon, but it's not here yet. They would say any day now there's going to be a rapture, and all the righteous are going to be called away, and they say, we know that it's going to be soon because of the signs of the times. And then they say there's going to be an antichrist who will be revealed. And then there's going to be a great tribulation, the battle of Armageddon. And then after all of these things happen, the Lord is going to return to the earth and finally establish his earthly kingdom where he will rule from the throne of King David in Jerusalem for a thousand years. In fact, I uh, found this chart online which kind of outlines uh, their thinking. The orange period is where they say we currently are. Coming soon is going to be the rapture. Then there's going to be a seven-year period in which there will be great tribulation. Then you see the coming of Jesus. And then the green section is when the Lord's kingdom, they say, will finally be established. That will last for 1,000 years. And then we will begin the eternal state of uh, the kingdom, that is, going to heaven. So they say the kingdom is still in the future. When I was a kid for a period of time, I attended the Northside Christian Baptist School in Charleston, South Carolina. It was a private school. And in that school, they used to teach us to pray the Lord's Prayer, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. They taught us to pray, thy kingdom come. Why did they teach us to pray that? Because they believed that the kingdom had not yet come and that it was in the future. We should be praying for that. Brethren, a lot of people believe that the kingdom has not come. If you go into the bookstores, bookstores will be filled with books that are teaching that the kingdom is in the future. Every week, denominational preachers preach it from the pulpit. The kingdom is coming. It's in the near future. The end times are upon us. In fact, you don't even have to leave your house. You can turn on the television set when you get home today or tonight after services, and you will hear individuals such as Tony Evans, Perry Stone, teaching this. In fact, for years, every Sunday night, there was a man named Jack Van Impey, and he would take the news and he would interpret it in light of what he considered the end times. He passed away two, two years ago, I believe, and his wife, Rexella Van Empey, she is still on there every Sunday night preaching this. And so 
with so much inter, with so much misunderstanding in the world today about the kingdom of the Lord, it is very appropriate that we spend some time this morning talking about this very, very important subject, the identity and nature of the Lord's kingdom. I'm going to uh, cover three main points today that I think will better equip us to teach others about the truth of the Lord's kingdom. Now, the first question this morning is, when was the Lord's kingdom established? Now again, most of the religious world will tell you it hasn't been established yet. But when you go to the Bible, that is not what we find. Now, I want to begin this morning in Daniel chapter 2. In Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. His dream was of a giant image, a, a huge statue. And this statue had a head of gold. Then it had breast and arms made out of silver. It had a belly and thighs made out of brass. The feet were, the legs were made out of iron. And then the feet were part iron and part clay. And in his dream, a huge stone, the Bible says, cut without hands. That means a human being did not do this. This huge stone strikes the image in the feet. And the image crumbles and then the wind blows it away, and then the stone grows and turns into a mountain and fills the earth. Now, when Nebuchadnezzar woke up, he wanted to know, what does this dream mean? And so he went to Daniel, and Daniel, by the help of God, interpreted the dream for him. Daniel said, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, great king, he said, the stone, the, the image represents four kingdoms. He said, the head of stone is you. It's Babylon. It is King Nebuchadnezzar. And he said, there's going to be another kingdom after you that is represented by the silver portion. History tells us that was the Medo-Persian kingdom. The third section, represented by the brass, was going to be a third great kingdom. History says that that was the Greece kingdom, the, the Greek kingdom of Alexander the Great. And then there's going to be a fourth kingdom represented by iron. History tells us that that was the Roman Empire. And then Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44 says this, In the days of these kings, which kings? That fourth empire, that is the Roman Empire. In the days of the Roman Empire, the God of heaven shall set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And that kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all the other kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. He says, great King Nebuchadnezzar, this is the interpretation of your kingdom. That stone that comes, it's going to come from God. And God's kingdom is going to break up all the other kingdoms. In other words, it's going to be a supreme kingdom, and that kingdom is going to last forever. But here's what I want you to get. He says the kingdom of God is going to be set up during the days of the Roman Empire. Well, you roll forward in history to the days of the Roman Empire, and what do you find? You find John the Baptist, he was preaching. Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 says, In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so John the Baptist, in the days of the Roman Empire, was saying, The kingdom hasn't come yet, but he said it's at hand. It is very close. The apostles of Jesus, when he sent them out on the limited commission, he told them, As you go, preach, saying, 
the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is, the kingdom is very, very soon. A prominent part of Jesus' preaching was about the kingdom. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark chapter 1 and verse 14. Now, after John the Baptist was put into prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom is at hand. What did Jesus mean when he said the time is fulfilled? He was looking back to these Old Testament prophecies, such as Daniel, and he said, now's the time. The kingdom is at hand. That is, it hasn't been established, but it is really close, very, very close at hand. In fact, how close was it when Jesus said that? In Mark chapter 9, verse 1, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you that there are some of them who stand here. Some of the people listening to him, he said, shall not taste of death until they have seen the kingdom come with power. And so we learned from Daniel the kingdom was going to be established in the days of the Roman Empire. John the Baptist said the kingdom is soon. The apostles said the kingdom is soon. Jesus said the kingdom is at hand. As a matter of fact, he said, some of you who are listening to me preach, you in your lifetime, you will not die until you have seen the kingdom. You go a little bit further. Jesus dies. He's buried. He's resurrected. And just before he ascends back into heaven, Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, the apostles ask him, they said, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They said, Lord, you haven't established the kingdom yet. Is now the time? So what do you learn? Just before Jesus ascended back into heaven, he, his apostles ask him, is now the time for the kingdom? You know what that means? kingdom hadn't come yet, but it was very, very close. Now, the apostles had a mistaken idea because they thought the kingdom was going to be a physical kingdom like it was in the days of Jesus. All right, we go a little bit further in history. You get to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. Paul writes to the Colossian Christians. He says, Who has delivered us from the power of darkness and has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. You notice that? Something changed. Paul said he has been translated into the kingdom. He said the Colossian Christians were in the kingdom. Something changed between the time that Jesus ascended back into heaven and he told them the kingdom hasn't come and the time that Paul wrote to the Colossians and he said that he was in the kingdom. What had changed? The kingdom had been established. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 9, near the end of the first century, the Apostle John refers to himself this way. He says, I am, quote, your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Paul said he was in the kingdom. John said he was in the kingdom. The Colossian Christians were in the kingdom. John said his fellow Christians, his brothers, were in the kingdom. What that means is this. The kingdom of the Lord had come in the first century. And that's why we don't pray anymore, Matthew 6 and verse 10, thy kingdom come, because the kingdom is here. Jesus told his apostles to pray, thy kingdom come. Why? Because that's what they were preaching. The kingdom is at hand, the kingdom is at hand, the kingdom is at hand. He said, pray that the kingdom comes after the kingdom was established. We don't pray that anymore. In fact, I want you to think about this. 
if the kingdom has not come, as is taught by many in the religious world today, that means that, number one, Daniel was wrong about the kingdom coming in the days of the Roman Empire. John the Baptist and the apostles were mistaken about the kingdom being at hand. The Lord missed it when he said it would come within the lifetime of those standing in his presence. Number four, Paul was wrong when he wrote to the Colossian Christians. And number five, John begins the book of Revelation with a lie because he said that he was in the kingdom. But friends, we don't have to worry about any of those things because the kingdom did come. And so when you meet someone today who says the kingdom hasn't come yet, but it's going to be very soon, you stop them and you say, wait a minute, Mark chapter 9 and verse 1, Jesus said the kingdom would come within the lifetime of those to whom he was speaking. All right, point number one is when. Point number two is what? What is the nature of this kingdom? Several things, three things I want to point out. Number one, this kingdom is of great importance. You might think, why are we having a sermon on this? This is not that important. Friends, it is very important. That is evident from all of the preaching that's done on it. You go back to the Old Testament, what do you find? The prophets were preaching about the kingdom that's coming. Daniel was speaking hundreds of years in advance about its establishment. It is evident that it's important because John the Baptist was preaching about it. Jesus was preaching about it. The apostles, he said, when you go out, preach about the kingdom. You know, the Lord only has to say something one time for it to be important, but when it is preached over and over and over, and that is his main message, ladies and gentlemen, it is important. This kingdom is of great importance. Number two, what about the nature of this kingdom? It's a spiritual kingdom. Now, the apostles were mixed up about this because they were thinking it was going to be a literal, physical kingdom. It's interesting to me that premillennialists today, they make the same mistake that the people of Jesus' day did. That is, they are looking for an earthly kingdom, when Jesus is going to come back to the planet Earth, he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to have a wooden and gold uh, throne. He's going to set up in the temple, and he's going to rule from the earth. But Jesus specifically said in John 18, 36, My kingdom is not of this world. Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Are you the king over the Jews? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered unto the Jews, but my kingdom is not from thence. What did he say? If I had an earthly kingdom, I would not have allowed you to take me. We would have fought if it were an earthly kingdom. And he said, I don't have an earthly kingdom. I'm going to tell you something that's going to shock you. Most of the denominational world believes that Jesus came to this earth to set up an earthly kingdom, but the Jews rejected him, and so he failed at that mission. And so he had to go to plan B, and that was the church. And that he's going to come again at some point in the near future, and he's going to once again seek to establish his kingdom. Friends, first, that is insulting to the power of God. Secondly, John chapter 6 and verse 15 tells us that is not what happened. 
It says in John 6 and verse 15, When Jesus therefore perceived that they had come to take him by force and make him a king, he departed into a mountain by himself alone. At one point during the ministry of Jesus, his popularity had gotten so great that they were going to make him a king. It wasn't that the Jews rejected him. They wanted him to be a king. They were going to forcibly make him a king. Friends, if Jesus had wanted to set up an earthly kingdom, he had every opportunity to do so. But it wasn't an earthly kingdom. It was a spiritual kingdom. Number one, the nature, it's of great importance. Number two, it's a spiritual kingdom. Number three, what is the nature of this kingdom? It is an eternal kingdom. Again, Daniel prophesied in the days of these kings, the Roman Empire, the God of heaven shall set up a king which shall never be destroyed. And this kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these other nations. And it shall stand, listen, for a thousand years? No, that's not what he says. It shall stand forever. Friends, the Lord's kingdom will not be a thousand-year kingdom. It is a kingdom that will stand until the end of the world. And then, 1 Corinthians 15, 24 says, Then cometh the end, when he shall deliver up the kingdom to God, even the Father, and he shall put down every rule and authority and power. That is, all the other kingdoms will be destroyed, but the kingdom of the Lord will be delivered to the Father to begin the eternal phase of the kingdom. You see, the Lord's kingdom will last forever, not just to the end of this world, but forever into eternity. Here's another thing I want you to get about the Lord's kingdom. This is so very important. It cannot be a literal kingdom. Now, dispensational premillennialist, you say, who, are, who is that? If you hear people talk about the mark of the beast and 666 and the signs of the times and the Antichrist and the thousand-year reign, those are dispensational premillennialists. They believe that Jesus is going to come to this earth. He's going to sit on David's throne. It's going to be in Jerusalem. He's going to reign for a thousand years. Would you appreciate with me? There is not one single passage in the Bible that says that Jesus is going to reign on this earth. Now, you might say, sure, there's got to be. There's got to be a passage that says that. There is no such passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says that when the Lord comes again, we will meet Him in the air. There is not one single passage that says that Jesus will ever set foot on this earth again. Again, we will meet Him in the air. But there are passages that teach that Jesus cannot rule on this earth. Now, you might say, well, I'd like to see those passages. Let me show you just a couple. One of them is in Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 13. Zechariah 6, 13 says that Christ will be a priest on his throne. I want you to get that in your mind. When he's on his throne, when he's ruling, he will be a priest. Hebrews 8 and verse 4 says if he were on the earth, he could not be a priest. Now put that together. When he's on the throne, he will be a priest, but he can't be a priest on the earth. You put those together, you know what you get? His throne can't be on the earth. Because when he's on his throne, he'll be a priest, but he can't be a priest on the earth. Remember, to be a priest, you had to be from which tribe? Levi. Which tribe was Jesus from? He was from Judah. He could not be a priest on this earth. 
What that means is the throne of Christ can't be in Jerusalem. It cannot be on this earth, or we've got a contradiction of Scripture. And as a matter of fact, God has forbidden that Jesus ever rule on a literal throne on this earth. Let me show you this passage. Jeremiah 22, 28 through 30, there is a promise made by God the Father that no one who is a descendant of Jeconiah will ever rule from Judah on this earth. Now, Jerusalem is in Judah. You say, I don't get the point. When you go to Matthew chapter 1 and you read the genealogy of Jesus, what you find is Jesus is a descendant of Jeconiah. The promise, the curse that was made to Jeconiah is none of his descendants would ever rule again in Jerusalem. Jesus is a descendant from Jeconiah. That means Jesus cannot rule on a literal throne from Jerusalem. But it doesn't matter anyway, because Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Acts chapter 2, 20 through 33 says his throne is not on this earth, it's in heaven. All right, point number one is when, point number two is what, point number three is who. Who are the members of the Lord's kingdom? Now, every kingdom has to have certain things. Every kingdom, number one, has to have a king, right? So who is the king in the Lord's kingdom? Who's the head of the kingdom? Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 says about the early Christians that they had been translated into the kingdom of his dear son. His dear son, that's a reference to Christ. It is his kingdom. And since it's already been established, he's already reigning over it. Now, premillennialism will tell you at some point in the future, Jesus is going to start to reign over his kingdom. But Romans chapter 9 and verse 5 says, Christ is over all. Not that he will be, but he is over all. Number one, Jesus is the king in the kingdom. Number two, every kingdom has to have a second thing. That is, in addition to a king, it's got to have a population. It's got to have citizens. So who are the citizens of the Lord's kingdom? Again, Paul wrote to the Colossian Christians, Colossians 1.13, who has translated us, who has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Paul identified himself and the Christians in Colossae as being part of the population of the kingdom. Revelation 1 and 9, John said, I am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of our Lord Jesus Christ. So John said he's in the kingdom. Paul was in the kingdom. The Colossian Christians were in the kingdom. And did you catch that? John said, I am your companion. Whose companion? Those to whom the book of Revelation was written. Well, to whom was the book of Revelation written? Revelation 1 and verse 1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God showed to his servants. Who are God's servants? Christians. And so John said, I'm in the kingdom. Christians are in the kingdom. The Colossians were in the kingdom. Paul was in the kingdom. Who are the subjects of the Lord's kingdom? Christians. So the king is Jesus. Christians are the subjects now, this is the conclusion. I want you to get this. This is so very important. Every Christian should know this. Every Christian should show this or should be able to show this. 
The conclusion is this. The kingdom equals the church. The church and the kingdom are the same thing. Friends, the evidence is overwhelming to this fact. Let's ask some questions very quickly. When was the kingdom established? Well, the kingdom was established in the days of the Roman Empire, soon after Jesus preached, in the lifetime of some of those who heard him. When was the church established? Same time. Who are the members of the kingdom? Well, they're Christians. Paul said that the Christians had been delivered out of the power of darkness and into the kingdom, Colossians 1.13. Who are the members of the church? Christians. Paul speaks about Christians as being called out of darkness into the marvelous light, 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. So those in the kingdom and those who had been delivered from darkness, Christians are those who have been called out of darkness. And so what we find out is the members of the kingdom are the same as the members of the church. Who is the head of the kingdom? Christ. Who is the head of the church? Christ. Colossians 1.18, the same context that talks about us being translated into the kingdom, says that Christ is the head of the body, the church. What's the nature of the kingdom? It's spiritual. What about the nature of the church? 1 Peter 2 and verse 5 says, Ye also as living stones are built up as a spiritual house. The kingdom is a spiritual body. The church is a spiritual house. The kingdom and the church are the same thing. And lest anybody miss it, Jesus flat out identifies the church as the kingdom. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus and his apostles came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus asked his disciples, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? That is, what are people saying about me? And they said, Some say that you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but whom say ye that I am? Who do you think I am? And Peter answered, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. That is, he said, we believe you're the son of God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, blessed art thou Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee, but my father which is in heaven. heaven." He said, You're right, Peter. This came from heaven. But then he says this, And I say unto thee, that uh, he says, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of death, shall not prevail against it, and I will give unto thee the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And so he said this, I'm going to build my church, and I'm going to give to you the keys to the kingdom. The Lord used the terms interchangeably. Friends, the church is the kingdom, and the kingdom is the church. Anytime you see a reference to the church, you can interchange it with the kingdom, and vice versa, because they are the same thing. Friends, today, to be a part of the kingdom of the Lord is to be a part of the church of the Lord. Now, I know that premillennialism will say that the kingdom has not yet come. But that assertion will not stand the test of Scripture. This morning, we want to tell you how to be a member of the Lord's kingdom. The church of the Lord, the kingdom of the Lord, they're the same thing. The way you become a part of the kingdom of Christ is by obeying the gospel. Hearing it, believing it, repenting of your sins, 
confessing your faith in Christ, and being baptized in water for the remission of your sins. Maybe this morning you want to become a part of the church, the one that's been preached about throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, to be a part of that kingdom that on the day of judgment, Jesus is going to deliver to the Father to spend eternity in heaven. If you want to do that today, we would be glad to assist you. If you're here today as a Christian, as a citizen in the kingdom, but you've been unfaithful, maybe this morning you want to make a public confession of public sin and you desire the prayers of the church on your behalf, we would be honored if we could do that. This morning, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, won't you come as together we stand and sing the invitation song.